we continue in our saga through the book of First Kings, we're in chapter 9, and it seems like we haven't been in it for years, but it's only been a week, or two weeks, maybe two weeks. No, not three. I was here Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, okay. It's maybe one. Maybe two. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house. Watch this. And all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do. He finished the temple in the 11th year of his reign. And it took him 13 years to build his house. So he's some 24 years later in his reign here as king of Israel, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. So over 13 years of building, remember, he, it took him seven years to build the temple. He was about four years into his uh his kingship, I guess, when he started building that. And then here's some 20 years of building later. And I don't know, it seems like he might have some idle time now that his building projects are complete. And all of his desires, it says, have been completed. So it says right there in verse 1, and all of his desires has been completed. You know, that's a dangerous place to be if the Lord God has not been in the center of all those desires. You know, he, from reading this and knowing how the story ends, it, it would appear that the Lord appearing to Solomon is a fresh reminder of how he started. Because maybe Solomon's starting to maybe wander a little bit. No doubt Solomon loved God at this point in his life, and God loved Solomon. We know that's true by the very fact that the Lord appears to him now a second time. But as Solomon moved away a little from the young man, remember what he said 24 years earlier when the Lord first showed up to him? Remember what he said? He said, I'm a child. I don't know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? That's how he started. God says, hey, what do you want? I'm a, I'm a child. I don't have, I have no clue as to how to do this. So everything that Solomon, the, the man here, that asked for wisdom from God, says here in verse 1, he's done everything he desired to do. Such is the case for you and I as we daily walk with the Lord, but we have to continue and finish the same way, team. It's critical. Turn to Psalm 37 just for a moment. It, certainly it's, if you don't know it, you should. It's awesome. It's a great way to live your life. Right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 37, verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Is Solomon doing that? I, I don't know. It just says he did everything that he desired. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, 
and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. That's how the psalmist wrote. That's how the psalmist lived life. So everything that Solomon has desired at this point in his life as he's been walking with God has been granted to him. He, he just has to maintain that course now. Of course, again, we all know how it turns out. Somewhere he no longer multiplies wives by one. He must be multiplying by like one a month or something, or one a week. But he has to just maintain his course here. You know, one of the privileges of walking with the Lord today is he's always with us. We know that. He, he'll never leave us or forsake us. The dream thing that Solomon has had twice, that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it be? I mean, you, you're sleeping and boom, the Lord Jesus shows up. But we also need to recognize and realize that Jesus is with us 24-7. He Yes, Solomon has finished his buildings, and as a builder myself, I am sure he was laser-focused on everything that was being built as he oversaw the overseers. I'm sure he was involved in it. And now here in verse 3, with the buildings completed, he's taking a nap, or he just sees this vision. And I had hoped that we have these in his word as well, you and I, fresh experiences with the Holy Bible, man, God. God wants to speak fresh and new things to us each and every time we pick it up. And so the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer. And so must we be convinced that our Lord hears our prayers when we pray. And, and I've heard your supplication that you made before me. We saw that in the previous chapters as the temple was built. A year later, he brings the ark in and then they start doing all the sacrifices, hundreds of thousands of sacrifices. And then God answered his prayers with the fire as he consumed the burnt offerings. And God's here telling him, look, I heard, I, I'm, I've answered your prayers. You know, Solomon dedicated and charged the people to stay walking with the Lord. And God's saying, look, I, I heard your prayers. And, and, and before we, we move on, we must ask ourselves, do we, do we believe that for our own life on a real practical, everyday level, everyday basis, that God hears our prayers? I hope so. You pray and God hears. Very simple stuff. Please don't ever live by what you feel. Well, I don't know if he, I just don't feel like you hear. No, he hears. All benefits of being a child of the king, he hears you. And if you're a child of the king, then his promise to you is the same that it is to Solomon. I, I heard your prayer, Solomon. As the Lord now speaks to Solomon the second time in his life, I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my name in my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So Solomon prays, God hears very standard issue stuff here. Look at what the Lord tells him here. I have set apart this house from all others. Now that's a great promise from God. My eyes and my heart will be here all the time, a truth for you and I today as children of God. And yet, what a dream to be having as God speaks this to you. The house is anointed, the eyes and the heart of God will be in this place. Totally awesome privileges for Solomon. And, but along with those awesome privileges, there has to come some responsibility. It has to be. Privileges and responsibility have got to always go hand in hand or side 
by side. With God, it seems he always gives the privileges first and then expects us to keep our part of the deal. Look at the very first promise given from God that Elkin hit on last week. Remember what it was? What was the first promise that God gave Adam and Eve? It's all yours. Enjoy it. But don't eat the fruit of that one tree. That's awesome privileges. Take dominion over it. Subdue it. Live life to the fullest. But don't eat the fruit of the one tree. Man's responsibility. So the very first picture we see of God with interacting with man is, here, I'm giving you everything. Be blessed. But there's the responsibility. Don't eat the fruit off that tree. It's never a we keep our part of the deal and then God will reward us. No, that's works. God has past tense fact already given us salvation. Then on top of that, on top of being a child of God, he has past tense fact given us awesome privileges. Like way too many we can imagine. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Those are yours the minute you turn from your sin and say yes to Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly is yours. Just as he chose us in him, you didn't do that, he did. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Some responsibility there. Certainly the blood of Christ does that. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. All privileged, team. We didn't do anything to receive that, but because of the grace of God, our Lord God gave out of immense love for us. We find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 as well. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God, God's, God's the one laying it all out there. We're called to do good works as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's our duty. But I mean, when you look at Ephesians 2.10, look at who's already prepared them for us to walk in. God has. Just like for Solomon. Solomon, I've, I've done all these things. Now just walk with me. You know, I'm so privileged to be a part of God's kingdom, and so are you. I mean, I understand if it was not because, you know, God is lucky that he caught me. I mean, that's ridiculous. Boy, God, it's your lucky day when you pulled me into your boat. No, that's ridiculous. I had nothing to do with it other than recognizing I was a desperate sinner then and even a bigger sinner now that's always in desperate need of our loving Savior. You and I were privileged to be child of children of God, even as Solomon was, even as Solomon is here. I hope we know that we're privileged. I hope we know that. We are privileged beyond our own probably human understanding. Think about this. Where would you be today if it weren't for the Lord reaching down and calling you? Where would you be today if God hadn't called you? I mean, think about your quality of life, your stuff, your friends, your views, your material possessions, just before you came to know Jesus as the Lord of your life. You know, was that last year, two years, five years? Hey, take that point and just run it forward where it's just you and yourself. And then look at your life now. There's no one who has been walking with Jesus who's not in a way better place or way better shape than when they first find up, signed up. For some, that was the removal of idols that they were worshiping. But for most, it was addition. 
We have purpose and meaning in life. God has blessed us beyond measure. One more detour. Psalm chapter 100. Again, right in the center of your Bible. I mean, you think of every... I mean, Solomon is the wisest man, the richest man, the smartest man. Privileged. Psalm 100, just for a minute. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And here's the why. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And God's the one who's doing all the work. He's the one who's made us and not we ourselves. We're his people. We're his sheep. And he desires that as sheep, we would recognize that and grab a hold of all the privileges you know, starting with spending time with him. We're privileged to be in God's army, soldiers of the cross, working for Jesus Christ, our commanding officer. Solomon's privileged to have God show up in a dream, not once, but twice now. And the Lord said to him, my eyes and my heart will be there always at the temple where you ask God to come and meet with you. So total privilege from God to Solomon. But with privilege always comes some responsibility. Think about when your kids started driving or when, if they're going to start. Privilege and, and responsibilities. It's never, hey, here's the keys, kids. Go get her all done. No, that would be ridiculous. That'd be car crashes and lawsuits. Privileges with responsibility. The first three chapters of Ephesians is look at what God has done for you. Look at all the benefits that are available to you in Christ before Paul pleads with us in chapter 4 to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. It's always what has, what's God done in us responding. And that's where the cults and religion misses today. They say you have to do all this to earn God's favor. No, God says I've already done all of this. Walk with me and respond to my favor that I've poured out upon you. So God has made a great and precious promise to Solomon, really in a half a verse here. And for the next six verses, the Lord's going to remind Solomon of his part of the deal. Let's look and see what's important to God here. Verse 4. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, just kind of run that through your mind for a sec. Really? Yeah, that's because you and I, we look at things differently. We look at them wrong. If you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, we're obviously not talking sinless perfection here. That doesn't exist. We're also not talking about some standard we place upon ourselves. No, that would be like legalism. No, we're talking about God's standard. The Lord God says after the end of David's life, okay, David's dead, the Lord God says this to Solomon, who is now king. This is what he says. Walk before me as your father David walked. Wow. Walk in integrity of heart and in uprightness. Do according to all that I've commanded you. Keep my statutes. Keep my, my judgments. That's what God's looking for from Solomon. When you blow it, what did David do? He owned it. Don't take vengeance. He doesn't. Love mercy. 
hey, we can get Saul right now. No, we're trusting God. Don't serve any other gods but the one true God of Israel. Allow God's love to cover over a multitude of sin. And while you're doing that, keep my ways the best way that you can. And then God slips another promise to Solomon in here, another privilege of walking with the Lord. Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Now this is all promise to Solomon, even as it was to his father David, the man after God's own heart. You realize that only shows up really one place, maybe two in the Bible. It shows up in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul is reciting Israel's history in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Let me read it to you. And when he had removed him, that would be Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. Paul quotes that out of Acts chapter 13. No other place in the New Testament do words like that show up. As a matter of fact, I believe the only other place anything close to that shows up in the entire Bible is when Samuel tells Saul these words. Hey, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, Saul, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you, Saul. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. We're going to get that in the next chapter. Now, all of this was possible because Samuel anointed David the first time. We saw it. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The same Spirit promised us each and every day, you and I are a life team. If, because there's not only privilege, but there's responsibility, if we will ask. So here's our reminder. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So how many times did you ask today? Once? Two? Five? Zero? Twenty? Thirty? Back to responsibility for Solomon, verse 6. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me, and we know they do, and do not, or a lot of, most of them do, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, there's going to be consequences. That's what he's saying here. Hey, do not at all turn from following me. Keep my commandments and my statutes, which I set before you. Very simple stuff. Do not serve other gods and worship them. It's like, hey, Sully, <laughs> are you listening here? Lord, help me to listen. Lord, help me to obey. As I was looking this over today, it's like, Lord, help me to obey what you've called me to do. Keep me from serving or worshiping the other gods of this world. See, if Solomon's, it's, if Solomon will but do the do's here, he won't have to worry about doing the things he's not supposed to be doing. And it's the same with us, team. If we'll just do what God's calling us to do, we don't have to worry about what God told us not to do. If we live our life as this pleasing to the Lord, we're going to be in great shape. 
the privileges have been spoken by the Lord God and granted to Solomon. The responsibilities have been made very clear, and with both of these come consequences as Solomon fails to accomplish what was set before him. Very similar to the law of reaping and sowing that we see in Galatians chapter 6. Remember, God says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. So when we blow it, God shows us mercy because we've shown mercy to others. It's critical. We want to be the most merciful people because we need mercy. For Solomon, the consequences of breaking his prayer that he just prayed and turning away from God to the false gods of this world will be devastating to the family line of David. But even in that, God's going to be the one that's faithful to bring forth the Messiah. But once that that Messiah comes forth, all the lineages disappear. The Lord says to him, If you do not keep my commandments and follow after idols, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and his throne which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss. And say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house, to the temple? Then they'll answer, because God's going to make sure everybody knows. Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and they have embraced other, I had the word, loser gods, and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all of this calamity on them. They just didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, I mean, why, how else would you end up in this place? You just didn't think it was going to happen? Oh, they always are talking about Jesus coming back. I mean, does it get to a place where you just don't think it's going to happen? It's interesting to me from this passage that <laughs> the Jews and Gentiles alike will recognize the power and judgment of God on the nation of Israel. And that's where it stopped. They recognize the consequences of man's disobedience to God, but there's no repentance on their part turning to the true and living God. They can look in and go, well, yeah, we know why it's like that, because they left the one true God and they went and served these bogus gods. Well, uh, don't you think you should turn and serve the one true God as well? It doesn't imply that. It just implies they're going to keep go about their business and go, yeah, they. that's why they're like that. It's almost like God is prophesying what will happen to the nation of Israel if they forsake the God that led them out of Egypt. And certainly history records for us that God brought judgment upon this nation for doing the very thing he warned them not to do, and he brings it over and over and over. Good king, there's a slight reprieve. They get it together. Bad king, judgment, 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 judgment. Good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. I mean, that's... That's where we're heading into as we go through First and Second Kings. They broke the commandments and turned to pagan idols and served them rather than the Creator. So, and you think, why? They, they had all these privileges. They could win any battle they wanted. There's the responsibility they were kind of negligent in. And the consequences, I guess they just didn't ma- think they mattered. Certainly when you meet 
read some of the minor prophets, it's like, hey, get these false prophets out of here. They don't know it. They're, they're going to make everybody discouraged. And yet the reality is they were the true prophets of God saying, look, you guys are in trouble. You need to repent. You and I were saved, kept, and enter into heaven by his grace. But along the journey, we can place ourselves in places where God must act to get our attention. Privileges, responsibility, and consequences. And God's going to act because he doesn't want us to keep wandering away. Whether it's in the workplace or on the road, at home, school, church, privileges, responsibility, and consequences are a fact of life. And our society today has really messed all that up, haven't they? Privileges? Oh, man, you bet. I deserve them. After all, you're lucky you have me working for you. I mean, don't you feel like that sometimes when you go to the store? They, these people go, man, you're lucky I'm here today. No, you're lucky I'm here today because if I wasn't here, you wouldn't have a job. <laughs> Consequences. Sure, fact of life. Tough get tougher, the strong get stronger, and the weak, well, everybody needs some servants. I mean, it's crazy what the world thinks today. Privileges. Yeah, I deserve them, man. I live in America. God bless America. I can do whatever I want, man. I'm 18 right now. And I'm a Christian. That's Southern California senior in high school talk. Really? You can go do whatever you want? Yeah, man, just lighten up, man. You let, let the kids have a little fun. Oh, <laughs> I've heard that many times. You know, God has put you and I in a place to be able to walk with him. And the world today has it so crazy and turned sideways. And viewing the words of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 24, listen to this. He, first he says, take heed that no one deceives you. You and I, we've got to be on guard, checking the various voices that are out there so that we know our thinking is straight because the world today has radically twisted privileges, responsibilities, and consequences into something that fits their needs. So we got to make certain that they don't deceive us here. In training up our children in the ways they should go, we don't want, we don't want to like just check in our brains and go with the flow in regards to these things. We need to be instructing them. It's part of the parents' responsibility. We, meet, we need to be teaching them about the privileges they have in Christ, but in the same breath, in the same sentence, be telling them about the responsibilities that are associated with that. And the reason we want to do that is so they grow up with some biblical reasons for making decisions in the future. It would be called discipleship making in your home. Certainly the last thing any of us want for our kids is having them lean on their own understanding and make their own decisions. That would be crazy. No, we want to teach them to lean on the Lord. Decisions they make, directions they're looking for, and advice on issues. Man, it has all got to come from the scriptures. And we've got to invest that into the life of our kids. Hey, look right here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Look to him. Yoke up with Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Because if we're not doing that, then we're deceiving ourselves. And worse yet, we're deceiving our kids to look to themselves for answers rather than looking to God. And we wonder why kids are coming out of high school and they have nothing. Well, because they didn't have much to start with. And then when they get to high school, uh, college, they, don't, they didn't have anything. Many books have been written. Most of them lose at about sixth grade. So they didn't have anything to carry themselves forward. So we got to 
understand here. Our kids need to understand the consequences to their actions as well as the privileges they have in Christ so they can be responsible members of society and not go the way of society. Because if you haven't noticed, the way of society is kind of going down. You had a lot of Christians out there being caught up in their thinking, decision-making based upon the things of the world rather than being based upon the things of God, specifically God's Word. That's what's going to happen to Solomon. He's just going to lean on his own understanding here. And he's going to do whatever feels right to him. And he starts to compromise and compromise and compromise. And next thing you know, he's serving the various gods of this world. The question is, is does he make it into heaven? I don't know. I hope so. But I don't know. This book, if properly read with an open heart, would answer every question Every question that life has to throw at your kids if everyone will look to it. There's nothing that I won't tell you. There's nothing that I won't guide you to. And so as parents, we've got to get back to the basics, or grandparents, we've got to get back to the basics of the Word of God and teaching them biblical decision-making skills so they won't be caught off guard when the world throws challenges at them and they won't end up like Solomon. John, the gospel writer, says this in 1 John 2.15. Elkin quoted last week as well. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. I mean, that's Solomon's problem. And that can be ours as well. Too much in love with the world will definitely affect how we cross the finish line. And I would imagine something never cross and just walk away. We see it then in the last days. There'll be a great falling away. Not falling, no, then they could get back up, but falling away. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 19. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore, therefore the world hates you. I mean, that's crazy, doesn't it? Or does it love you? <laughs> Again, Jesus is like minutes away from being arrested in John chapter 17, verse 14. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Right after supper, he spoke to him in John 15, minutes away from being arrested. His prayer for them was John 17. So Solomon has freedom to do what he wants to do in his life, but God has placed limits on him as to what is crossing the line. And we know, because we, we know the story, he crosses it in a big battle way. So you and I, we want to learn from him and form our convictions in our life based upon God's word and not based upon what we think or by, why, or by what our parents did or didn't do. We've got to base them based upon God's word. And again, we've got to help our kids using the Bible to formulate decision-making skills. You know, if you're in there working with the kids at school, you've got to help them formulate decision-making skills by looking into God's Word. See, that way they get to carry it with them when they leave their homes. Privileges, hmm, we all love them. They're endless. Responsibility to those privileges, they got to be there. And there's choice here, though. Consequences, without them, we'd all be spoiled children. Look at verse 10. Now, it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, in other words, life is really good, free of conflicts. Here in the king of Tyre had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold, as much as he desired. 
that King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So, oops, we got trouble in paradise. So Hiram said, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Cabal. Most people believe that means the good-for-nothing cities, as they are to this day. Yeah, it's very mountainous and rocky there. Then Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. What? <laughs> At first glance and second glance, it seems a little weird. Solomon gives Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee, and upon inspecting them, Hiram says, man, this is a bunch of cabal. Man, this is good for nothing. Then Hiram turns around and sends Solomon 120 talents of gold, or 1,280,000. So how's that possible? I don't know. At first glance, Solomon is quite the shrewd dealmaker. We get a glimpse of that at the end of his life. He was very shrewd. However, anybody have an NIV Bible? Some believe that verse 14 is missing a word, that verse 14 is missing the word had. If you have an NIV, you'll find it that way. I don't know if it's true. The NIV reads, Now Hiram, past tense, sent to the king 120 talents of gold. So it says he sent them before he saw the land. I don't know if that's true. Solomon's building projects, he not only needed their cedar logs and cypress logs, but he also needed their gold. So Hiram helped him out. So I don't know why this is in here. Well, I, I think I do. So, so Hiram sends him all this stuff, and, and now it's payback time. And Solomon sent him these 20 good-for-nothing cities. So why is this transaction included in the Scriptures? To show us the wise, clever dealings of the richest, wisest man on the earth? Maybe. I think there's a bigger picture at play here. I think there's a reason why God's showing us this. See, God gave the land to Israel. It's not for them to give away as they please. We saw that with Ariel Sharon in 2005 when he gave the Gaza Strip to the Palestinians. 13 years later, that, that didn't really work out real well for him. But then neither do the housing projects or the wars in our own country. It's God's land. He gave it. And Solomon has no right to give it away. And God wants us to see he does. Man, that seems like compromise in some way. He's given away God's land that he gave the nation of Israel. Crazy. And this is the reason for the labor force which King Solomon raised. And if you've read ahead, you know he uses the wrong people. He used those who God instructed to drive out of the land. So he uses them to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, which no one really knows where it is. It's probably a military establishment. The wall of Jerusalem, obviously, for defense. Hazar, Megiddo, and Gezer, because, hey, even the geezers need a place to hang out. But these were fortified positions that Solomon had built to strategically defend and protect against attack from multiple locations. Pharaoh of king of Egypt had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire, had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city, and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So it's a wedding present. 
And Solomon built all the rest of this stuff with his forced labor. Or maybe this forced labor were happy to be forced labor because they were still alive. And whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all the land of his dominion, he built it. Check out verse 20. All the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, who were not of the children of Israel, long dash. See that long dash there? It's there for a reason. All these people who were supposed to be killed, they're alive and living in the nation of Israel. They were previously living in the promised land when Joshua brought them across the river. And then they started invading as they hit Jericho first. These Hivites, Jebusites, Perizzites, they were living there. God said, I don't need to wipe them all out. Don't make treaties or deals with them. Don't keep any of them alive. They're going to get you to serve their gods. So who Solomon got working for him? These guys. Compromise. Compromise. He's getting his stuff built. Everything he desired to do, but he's compromising. That is their descendants who were left in the land after them when the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these Solomon raised labor force as it is to this day. At least that's the time of this writing. Total compromise here, Sally. Destroy him. Kill him. If you're so powerful, take him out. So he's using Israelites to oversee the forced labor. I wonder, and I, this is what I was thinking about today, I wonder how many Jews during this time intermarried with them. I wonder how many Solomon intermarried with. No doubt he intermarried with some because he had a thousand... 700 wives and 300 concubines from all across the nation, all across the world. So the king, kingdom heads south when Solomon dies. I'd imagine more than what we want to know about how many were intermarried because they don't walk with God. It just plummets. Matter of fact, the northern kingdom builds their golden calf and sends them into, they never recover. Now, three times a year, verse 25, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar, which he had built for the Lord, and he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord. What's wrong with that? Huh? Yeah, he's not a Levite. If, if Solomon is actually doing these priestly duties here, He's compromising like crazy. Sully is in big trouble here. He has no right here doing these things because he's not of the tribe of Levi. So he finished the temple. He's in trouble. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships of, at Ezi and Geber, which is near Elath on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. So here and only here, if you're into trivia, the only place in the Bible an Israeli navy is being constructed that actually sails. There's another place in the Bible a navy is made, but it's sunk before it sails. Because the king of Judah was in cahoots with the northern king, and God said, no, nah, uh, we're just going to sink the whole operation. Je Jehoshaphat, who's two kings away after Solomon, as we travel through verse Kings, verse Kings, makes this merchant ships to go in search of gold, but they never sail. 
So the second marine fleet of Israel sank before it got started, but Solomon's does sail with a little help or probably a lot of help from Hiram. Look at verse 27. Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, servants, then, then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who knew the sea to work with the servants of Solomon. No doubt, they knew nothing. They didn't have ships. How are you supposed to sail if you've never sailed before? And so, Hiram sends him his sailors, and they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. Now, where is this place, Ophir? No one knows. I guarantee you people would like to find out. <laughs> the Navy of Israel was born, but only for a short season. And see how many, how many talents of gold did they get? 420. Took him three years for Solomon to get 420 talents of gold through, I'm going to call it commercial means, working with his navy. And of course, if he didn't have Hiram sailors, he would have never been successful at all. We'll see that in the next chapter. But he got, just keep in mind, 420 talents using commercial means. If you contrast with David's life over a three-year period, David in faith went out and got 100,000 talents of gold through conquest. Conquest under David far exceeded that of Solomon in his acts of commerce. I believe there's a lesson here for us. The, the child of God, spiritually speaking, needs to battle it out, not in the boardroom, but on the battlefield. It's critical. We need to include God in our financial decisions and not work the numbers and then do what seems Logical. Because logic would would still have me in Santa Barbara. Logic would still have me in Spokane. So we can work it like Solomon and work hard and come home every three years with 420 talents of gold and say, wow, look at what we've done. Commerce. Or we can get out of the boat trusting God's word, that faith, that only faith pleases him. Without faith, you've seen the verse. Trusting that faith pleases God and go out seeking to battle in the spiritual realm and then step back and go, wow, look at what God has done. Conquest. It's interesting. Think of the steps of faith David took time and time again after in his conquest, stepping out on the battlefield with the slingshot. So it's conquest versus commerce. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God what they are. We have to use them. God's given them to us. It's a privilege. One method, trusting man and man's plan and man's effort and man's energy and man's perspiration because someone had to row those boats. And the other method, trusting God in this leading. Not recklessly. Not blindly, but as God is guiding, as we hear his voice, as God guides, we get going and we take that step of faith and watch what God can do. I believe both here in the church and also at home for each one of us personally. God wants us to live that way. He wants us to live by faith. He wants us to live that way. 100,000 talents of gold by conquest, trusting the Lord, or 420 talents by commerce and sweat. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? Plus, it's more exciting out on the battle line where you're taking them out than <laughs> sweaty. Sweaty. 
if you go back and you mark these places of compromise in Solomon's life, you're going to watch. Because compromise never happens overnight. It's a slow eroding process. It can. But a lot of times it's just a slow eroding process. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. Next thing you know, you find out somewhere, how did I get here? And then you got to backpack, backtrack like crazy. And it can happen to all of us. But, you know, the great thing is, is God's grace and mercy is always sufficient. We have a great high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. If we'll but come to him, we'll own it like David did. Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us. And Lord, just for the pictures that we see in Solomon's life here. 